We've all got questions about the Bible and Christianity. Some of us are Christians and want to know how best to live for God and show our love for Him. Some of us are curious about what it means to follow Jesus. And some of us are skeptical of the idea of religion in general. Whatever your background, we invite you into these conversations that strive to take an honest look at what the Bible has to say on a wide variety of subjects. Each week, we will discuss questions that have been sent in from all around the world and try to find truth and practical application in God's Word. If you have any questions or follow-up comments, contact us anytime by emailing info at broadwaycoc.com. I'm Jed Lovejoy, and these are Conversations with Dan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another one of our conversations here with Dan. <sighs> We're going to take a break from some of those in-depth question type things. We may come back to questions later, but we're going to go to a, one of our book studies today. Yes, a summary of a book. Yeah, big picture of the book of... Hebrews. Hebrews. So, Dan, who wrote Hebrews? No, that's not what we're doing today. Origin of Caesarea says God alone knows, but <laughs> probably not Paul. No, but we're going to talk about the content of the book of Hebrews today. Yes, we today. are. Yes. So, where would we like to start? All right. First of all, the book of Hebrews is not a letter or an epistle. It is a sermon. Mm. Look at Hebrews 13.22, if you would. Okay. 13.22 says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. So the, 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 the book is defined as a message of exhortation. It mm. is an exhortation. It's a sermon. Yeah. It does not have a, like Paul the Apostle, to the church of such and such. It mm -hmm. doesn't start that way at all. Yeah. And it is a sermon, and it is actually, the book of Hebrews is, um, we might borrow Lee Strobel's book titled, The Case for Christ from the Scriptures of the Old Testament, is what the book of Hebrews is, a sermon okay. about justifying or proving Christianity from the pages of the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, several things that tie the book of Hebrews together. Um, the, the bottom line of the book of Hebrews is that God has spoken to man again through Christ. Okay. You've got Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Read that for us. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. All right, he spoke back then to the fathers, but in the last days he has spoken to us. Mm -hmm. And notice how you have that same comparison in chapter 2, verses 3, excuse me, verses 2 and 3. Okay. He says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by those who heard. All right. So in verse 2, the word spoken through angels. And according to the book of Galatians and in the book of Acts chapter 7, that's talking about the message spoken through Moses back to the fathers. Mm. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, he compares that with the great salvation that was spoken to us at first by the mm -hmm. Lord. See, yeah. That's the, by Jesus, his son. Okay. So really, you have a repeat of what was said in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Yeah. If you go to chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 3... Okay. Um, in verse 7, he starts out, Today, if you shall hear his voice. See, God spoke yeah. back then to them, but today, 
Right. He has spoken again. Go to chapter 4, verse uh, 1 and 2. Uh, he says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Okay, they got a message preached to them, and we've mm-hmm. had a message preached to us. Right. See? And again, that's that same claim about... God has spoken again. He's revealed himself again through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Then go to chapter 12, all the way over to chapter 12. Okay. If I can get those pages. Chapter 12, verse. And if you look at verse 18, he says, we haven't come to Mount Sinai. We haven't come to this mountain that's been, mm-hmm. you know, to get that revelation back there. But if you right. go to verse 22, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion. Mm-hmm. To the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Right. Then the bottom line, verse 25, Hebrews 12, 25. He says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. All right. So the, the, the bottom line of the book of Hebrews, God has spoken to us again through Christ in these last days. Yeah. See that you do not refuse him that is speaking. Yeah. So that's boiling it down to... It's right. essence. Now, and there's a lot of pieces in between where he continues to do this yeah. back then, today, mm-hmm. that he's going to have lots of examples of. Yep. And then the other thing is, there, there are a series of Old Testament texts that are used to make the case for Christ. Let me give you the kind of the layout of the book. Okay. In chapter 1, starting with verse 5 through the end, you have a series of what we call enthronement passages mm-hmm. where God is enthroning his king. Right. And that turns out to be Jesus, mm-hmm. see? And a lot of people get focused on the fact that he's comparing Christ to the angels. But the reason that he's comparing Christ to the angels is seen in that chapter, that passage you read in chapter two. Mm-hmm. For if the message spoken through the angels proves steadfast, right, then how shall we escape if we neglect this greater salvation that was spoken through the Lord? That's his point, right? Then in chapter two, starting in verse five, he presents uh, a passage of scripture, which is Psalm eight. Mm-hmm. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? You made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and put everything in subjection under his feet. Yeah. And what he gets out of that passage is that it's Christ that was made for a little while lower than the angels when he came to the earth. And then because he was faithful, he was crowned with glory and honor. Mm -hmm. And literally everything for the first time in history was placed under his feet. Unlike man in the Old Testament that was the ruler of the physical creation, yeah. everything including sin and death and everything was placed under Christ's feet. You because know? again, we've been talking about kingdoms and they're used to kingdoms being a little here, a little there, a little there. And he's saying, no, Jesus is literally over it all. Over everything. Yeah. yeah. But that passage is then discussed after he presents the passage. And then when you get to chapter 3, verse 7, where we were a minute ago, he presents another passage, which mm-hmm. is Psalm 95, 7 through 11. Okay. And that passage compares us today with the Israelites and says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't do like they did and harden your hearts and mm-hmm. fall away from the living God. You know? yeah. And then he discusses that passage all the way through um, chapter 4, verse 11. Right. 
And the point of that passage is there's another voice today and God said they didn't get to enter his rest because they refused to hear his voice back then. Mm -hmm. But there still is a rest remaining. The voice spoke to us again today and there's a rest remaining for us today. So he uses that passage to argue that the very fact that it says today and David wrote it long after the time of Moses, mm-hmm. means that there's another revelation and there's another hmm. rest. He's using yeah. that to prove the case for Christianity. So, so whoever the writer was, he knew his Old Testament. Like oh, yeah. He knew God's law. And it's not, this book isn't a, so chuck the whole thing out. No, He's no, no. going, this is how it's all proven. It was time. accepted as written by a New Testament prophet. Mm-hmm. But... He's making his arguments. He's, he's proving Christianity by a series of Old Testament texts, and he's stacking one on top of another. Yeah. When you get to the end of chapter 4, he introduces uh, Psalm 110, uh, verse 4, about Jesus being our high priest. Mm-hmm. And he actually, Psalm 110, you know, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at your, my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And if you read down to verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Right. Well, he discusses that passage from chapter 5 at the beginning all the way through chapter 8, verse 6. He's still discussing that one passage of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And many people don't realize that everything in those chapters is a discussion of Psalm 110, verse 4. Right. See? And so what he's saying in that passage is that God swore an oath, mm-hmm. and God never lies. Yeah. And God said there would be this person mm-hmm. who was David's Lord right. that would be appointed both king and priest. But the writer argues that can't possibly be with mm-hmm. Moses' law. Yeah. Because the kings come from the tribe of Judah. And the priests come from? The tribe of Levi. There you go. And it and it can't possibly be under the system of Judaism that that there can be a king and a priest, you know, at yeah. the same time. So he says in chapter 7, verse 4, that if Psalm 110, verse 1 through 4 is true, mm-hmm. then there has to be a change in the law if there's going to be a change in mm-hmm. the priesthood. Yeah. And so in chapter 8, he summarizes in verse 1, The argument from those four chapters. What does he say there in verse 1? He says, Now the point in which we are saying is this. Which I love that. (laughs) There you go. Here you go. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. All right, now listen to that. We have such a high priest. That's Psalm 110 verse 4. Mm Mm-hmm who is set at the right hand. That's Psalm 110, verse 1. Mm -hmm. See? And so he's tied all that up. Yeah. All right, now look at verse 6, where he passes to a new passage of Scripture. Okay. He says, But as it is Christ, but as it is Christ, has obtained a ministry. But as it is, comma, Christ has obtained a ministry that is a much that is as much more. Good gracious, these line breaks are killing me. Let's start again. But as it is... Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediated. He me- <laughs> I can't read. You read verse 4. <laughs> verse 6 says he's verse obtained six. a better, uh, a more excellent ministry, meaning yes. his priestly ministry 
in as much as he's also the mediator of a better covenant based on better promises. Yes. All right. So when you keep going, then starting in verse seven and eight, he introduces yet another passage of scripture. We're going to try again, which is Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one to thirty-four, which okay. is, "Behold, the days are coming mm-hmm. that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel." Right. So let me let me back you up. Okay, enthronement text. Mm-hmm. God was enthroning a new king. Yep. Uh, chapter two. God put literally everything, with no exceptions, under his feet. And that's Mm -hmm. never happened in humanity before Christ. Uh, Point three, Psalm 95, 7 through 11. Mm -hmm. God has spoken again today, chapter 3, verse 7, and Mm -hmm. and offered another rest to the people today. Right. See? Then point four, Psalm 110, 1 and 4. Mm -hmm. God promised and swore with an oath that he would make a king who was also a priest. And that Mm -hmm. means if God's going to keep his word, that the law has to change. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Next point, chapter 8, verse 7. God said, I'm going to make a new covenant. Mm -hmm. See? And then he says, this covenant is not going to be where... It's a nation being uh, covenanted. It's going to be where everybody knows the Lord. Everybody lets God write their write His law in their hearts. Mm-hmm. And in this covenant, I will forgive their sins and I'll never remember them again anymore. Now, in the middle of all of that, is this new covenant that He's establishing His verification or His finalization of the covenant He made to Abraham? Yes, but... That's not that's because it's kind of in the middle there. So how does that fit in? Well, he he actually does deal with that because in chapter six, he says in chapter six, verse eighteen, there are two mm-hmm. unchangeable things in which right. it is impossible for God to lie. One of those things is the promise to Abraham, mm-hmm. and the other of those things is the oath he swore in Psalm one hundred and ten four to make Jesus a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Right. And the writer is saying if both of those oaths of God are true, then Christianity is true. See? Okay. And so when you get to chapter 8, where he introduces Jeremiah 31, stacking on these these other passages, he says, by the way, also God promised a new covenant. And he said, Hmm. it's a covenant where I'll forgive their sins and never remember them anymore. Well, the Jew was, would say, well, how can that be? There's a remembrance made of sins every year at the right. Day of Atonement. And so for, from chapter 8 all the way through chapter 10, um, verse 18, he discusses Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Mm-hmm. And um, if you go to chapter 10, verse 18, he, okay. he has finally explained by explaining the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ Mm-hmm. how this can be true. So yeah. read that. He says, where there is forgiveness of these, these being the sins, the of, sins yeah. there is no longer any offering of, for the sins. Right. If, and, and his argument has been that passage in Jeremiah can only be true if the offering of Christ is offered and there's no more need for any other offerings. Mm. So what he's done is he's stacking passage after passage saying, this one shows that Christianity is true. Stack that with this one that shows that it's true. Mm. This one shows that it's true. Yeah. And this one shows that it's true. And so in one after the other, see, he's proving the case for Christianity. And they're true because Christ has fulfilled what was promised in all the previous covenants and oaths before. Right. And, and some of those are so specific, like the Psalm 110 one. Yeah. Who is it that's ever been born that can be both king and priest? Mm-hmm. And he compares only one guy back in the ancient times, Melchizedek, who was the king of a city, and he was right. also the priest. 
but after the law of Moses, who could be king and priest? And and he makes that case. Yeah. Then there's one more passage that's introduced. Okay. Uh, in chapter starting in chapter ten, verse thirty-six. Mm-hmm. He read thirty-six and read down there through the next two or three verses. He introduces Habakkuk two, three, and four. Okay. He says, "For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised." Four. Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. All right, so um, you have need of endurance, for in a little while he that is coming will come. Well, that's in the book of Hebrews, that's Jesus. Right. And my righteous one will live by faith. If you circle that little part of the verse there, my righteous Mm -hmm. one will live by faith. Yeah. That's where you get the by faith. Mm-hmm. All through Hebrews 11. Okay. It comes from that passage right there. Yeah. So Hebrews 11 is really a discussion. Of that section. Of that section of scripture mm-hmm. that he brings up. And then he says at the very end of Hebrews 11 that it's only through us that all those people by faith, you know, they they right. receive what was promised. And then he introduces the coming of Christ, see. Mm-hmm. And so by chapter 12... He kind of wraps things up, and then he goes back to chapter 12 and verse 18 and says, Now, let's wrap all this up. We haven't come to Mount Mount Sinai. Yeah. We've come to Mount Zion, and God has spoken again. And and this is the biblical case for Christianity. And Christ is the one that is the perfect sacrifice and the mediator of a new covenant and the high priest that God has appointed for us. And so... You know, he kind of closes the thing down with that. That's the way the book of Hebrews is yeah. structured. Again, if you if you go into it thinking of it like a sermon, you get the whole, here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's how I'm going to back it up. Here's how I'm going to prove it first. Here's mm-hmm. how I'm going to prove it second. Yeah. Hebrews is a series of Old Testament texts that are used to make a very strong case for Christianity. Mm-hmm. And let's kind of wrap this up going back to Hebrews 6.18. Okay. And then I'll make kind of a point of structure and reading sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, in Hebrews 6.18 and 19, let's, let's read that. Okay. 6.18 and 19. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right, so this oath or promise God made to Abraham, in thy seed all the nations will be blessed. Mm -hmm. This oath that God swore, the Lord has sworn and will never change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Yeah. If you really believe those two things that can never change, yeah. Christianity has to be true. And that really gives us a strong encouragement mm-hmm. that we're right in holding on to Jesus as our only hope. That's kind yeah. of the nutshell, heart, and core of the message of the book of Hebrews. There you go. And I was just going to say, I think that a lot of clarity comes, you know, when you're pointing out, hey, this is that passage, this is that passage. A lot of times when you're reading through something this dense, most translations, most editions in the English version will kind of offset the type text when they're quoting something. I would just say, pay attention to those sort of things. Really dig into where is that coming from? Why did they put it that way? Because most of the time they don't say, 
hey, this is from Hosea, hey, this is from Psalms. But if you take yes. the time to look at it... And I think most people that read the book of Hebrews do not realize that the book is structured like passage, discussion, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. passage, discussion. They don't realize, for example, when we're in Hebrews 9, mm -hmm. that we're actually trying to, trying to discuss the quotation from Jeremiah. See, right. that's what we're doing for these two chapters. Yeah. And so, you know, like in our Seeing the Forest seminar, yeah. if we can get a big picture of what's actually going on and what the writer's actually doing, then we can see how the little parts fit into the discussion. Yeah, it kind of goes into, and we've discussed this before when we're looking at books, if you get stuck on the verses and chapters in your English language edition, sometimes they do a poor job of signifying the actual sections of what you're reading. Um, so don't think that just because a new chapter started, a new thought has started by, by any means. Yeah, and I've compared the book of Hebrews to a relay race. Hmm. Um, the little enthronement text guy is running around the track in chapter 1, and then he hands the baton off to the Psalm 8 guy in chapter 2. Mm. And then that little guy hands the baton off to the Psalm 95, 7 through 11 guy who runs for a couple chapters. And then that guy hands off the baton to the Psalm 110, 1 and 4 guy that runs for about four chapters. <laughs> and then um, that guy hands off the baton to the Jeremiah 31 guy that runs for a couple chapters, four chapters almost. Yeah. And then that guy hands off the baton to the Habakkuk 2, 3, and 4 guy who runs for another couple of chapters. <laughs> That's the way the book is put together. But yeah. what he's doing is he's preaching and he's making his case for Christianity, building text on top of text to prove that Christianity has to be true for, because of this passage, mm -hmm. this passage, this passage, this passage. Yeah, very cool. Well, I hope that helps you. I know for me personally, Hebrews was one of those dense books that it took me a while to really get a good handle on. And being somewhat dense. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I knew, I knew we couldn't get through an episode. That's okay. all. But really, I mean, it can be a difficult one. But when you kind of know the signposts and these little pieces along the way that guide you through those longer passages, it really is helpful. So, And if you remember that the early Christians, when they preached Jesus, mm -hmm. they preached Christ from the pages of the Old Testament. Oh, yeah. And this book is really an eye-opener for yeah. some of the way that was done. Yeah, it's like if you don't think that's possible, give Hebrews another read. Yep. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So thanks again for joining us. For those of you who have subscribed to our YouTube channel, who are following us on our podcast, whatever the case may be there, thank you for giving a listen. Um, and if you have thoughts on other books or questions that you have on Hebrews or anything else, send them to us. As always, send them to us. We're always replying back to people. And who knows, we may make an episode out of it. What's that you got in your pocket there, Brother Jed? It's my pocket square. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you next time. All right. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to these weekly conversations between myself and Dr. Dan Owen. Conversations with Dan is an outreach and teaching ministry of the Broadway Church of Christ in Paducah, Kentucky. You can find us online through most of the major social media sites or through our website, broadwaycoc.com.